0: There actually is a point where you balance the visual quality of the image and the file size there's a concept in economics called the Laffer Curve. It has to do with uh, government revenue and tax rates. Basically, you can keep increasing tax rates, but at some point, if you increase tax rates above a certain level, the amount of money that the government is taking in actually goes down. So basically, what the laughable curve is is very similar. So you can experience really good performance benefits by lowering and lowering the quality of your images, but at some point, your images look laughable. One of the fun things that we've been working on lately is kind of like machine learning and like AI stuff. So if you took a picture, you want it to look like a Bob. Ross painting, you could upload a picture of a Bob Ross painting, upload your picture of a mountain, and apply the style of the Bob Ross painting onto your picture, and the outcome is your picture, but it looks like a Bob Ross painting. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly
1: series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. So welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. Back on the the line for another episode is Ben. Hey. hey Ben. And then uh as our guest
0: from Cloudinary, we've got Robert Mosley.
1: Hey Brian. So Rob, since you're a guest, do you want to explain who you are and what you do at Cloudinary?
0: Yeah, so uh, I am Robert Mosley. I am Director of Solution Engineering at Cloudinary. Uh, basically on my team, we take a look at uh, customers' prospects of ours that are out there in the wild and figure out the cool things that they can do with our tool. Um, and Cloudinary, uh, for those that don't know, is kind of like a, an end-to-end image and video management service. You upload your assets into Cloudinary and then it's all API-based. You can manipulate them however you, you see fit. So Rob, you mentioned that Cloudinary
1: is video and image uh, management. What, what sort of management are we talking about when you, when you talk about like uh, videos and images?
0: So think about kind of the web today. If you think of you know, all the bandwidth on the internet, actually 65% of it is images, right? But you know, the web is built in you know, all the web languages. So you have like JavaScript and the various libraries out there. You have CSS and HTML. Um, then you have the backend languages, but you know if a J image isn't written in any of those languages, uh, an MP4 video isn't written in any of those languages. So you actually have the vast majority of internet bandwidth is these kind of foreign objects that can't be dealt with with the standard pipeline of of coding, like you can't edit an image with JavaScript. So basically what Cloudinary does is is we've kind of built an interfacing language where you upload your assets, uh, whether it's an image or a video or a Photoshop file or anything like that, um, into Cloudinary and we give you a URL for it. And then right in that URL you pass parameters, say like the width and the height you want, what crop mode you want, what format you want, what compression you want, saturation adjustments, and brightness and gamma, and all sorts of different really cool things like that. So, image handling is something that I've I've had practice with a
1: lot for a lot of these like Rails apps I throw together. A lot of tutorials I know some of the basic Rails tutorials will have you add like S three and stuff like that. But I just realized, Ben, since you're on, I know the CMS, Netlify CMS, was a project you work on. It's actually going through a bit of a facelift, and there's also questions about image like handling within the CMS itself.
2: Do you know if there's a um, a solution for that yet? Well, currently, we're uh, right about to roll out a media library that just does the simplest possible thing and just stores images in Git. But we've actually been talking about uh, building integrations for third-party services like Cloudinary because storing them in Git, it quickly gets you know out of control. So there's nothing solid in the CMS about that yet, but it's definitely something we're looking at pursuing. I think
1: uh, for the Netlify, the marketing site that I'm working on, uh, we have the same sort of issue where a lot of our images are hosted within the repo. So every time you clone that repo, the, all those images come along for the ride. Which is a bit painful once we get to like we're at the like the gig mark now for like blog post images. So we've we've explored Cloudinary as a a possible solution to make that work. What are some other benefits that you could probably look to see about not just manipulations but for
0: handling images on the fly, Robert? Well, I mean, the, the big thing is like most images are static files, right? So there's also a CDN that you have to take into account. So you, you could get all your image manipulation down perfectly. But if you're serving them from some, you know, origin server in, in Iowa, you know, any of your visitors that aren't in Iowa are still going to get a really poor performance, right? So distributing across globally in, in a CDN um, is something to take into account as well. And that, that's also just built right into the platform. And kind of going back to the management system integrations, it's actually a super common integration because If you think about who's using a content management system, I mean, content management systems were built so non technical people could go in and edit content, right? Yeah. And that's typically who's uploading the assets. So if you take like a a media company, let's say like, uh, CNN or BuzzFeed or something like that, they'll have an author that will upload an image to attach to an article, but you know they're not thinking about what's the right format for this image or what quality settings should I be using? Or is this uh, cropped correctly? Is it the right size? And then how do you even handle that if the site's then responsive? Uh, so basically the the whole idea here is to give developers a tool to kind of automate that entire workflow. So upload it, make an automatic decision, what's the best format for this image, what's the best quality settings for this image while maintaining the visual quality, Um, and then how do you crop it, and and do everything else that you would do there. And then also distribute it across globally for CDNs, because your visitors could be anywhere.
1: Yeah, I read your blog post about the optimization. The actual title is The Laughable Curve, you want to talk about that curve a little bit more?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, if uh, there's any economics geeks listening, uh, there's a concept in economics called the Laffer curve that uh, has to do with uh, government revenue and tax rates, right? So, there's basically you can keep increasing tax rates, but at some point, if you increase tax rates above a certain level, the amount of money that the government is taking in actually goes down because of the additional burden that the high tax rate has placed upon the economy. So basically what what the, the laughable curve is, is very similar. So you can experience really, really good performance benefits by lowering and lowering the quality of your images, but at some point your images look laughable. And it actually hurts performance, or it hurts the user experience. So there actually is a, a, a point where you balance the visual quality of the image and the file size and then how do you discover what that is and if you can find that point and you can deliver your images at the, the, the right quality and balance the file size with the visual quality you know, then you're kind of you know, completely optimized right? at least as far as your, your assets go and so, one thing that uh, we like to do is run experiments because Cloudinary, all you have to do is put a parameter in the URL to generate the images at various quality settings. So, if you wanted it at like 10% quality, which would look terrible, you can do that. Just put q10 in the URL, and we'll generate that image. So, you can quickly iterate and actually like run these A/B tests and find out, like for each segment, you know what do they prefer? Like, are they willing to have kind of like a a crappy looking image if it means that the site actually loads for them? Yeah, probably. For a desktop user, maybe they want a super high quality image that's like triple resolution. Uh, You know, who knows, right? So, give you the ability to test these things and figure out what that is.
1: Yeah. So you're saying you do A/B test it on the cloudinary side, so you can see like whether or not like there's a, a certain point between like 100k like kilobits difference or anything like that.
0: I mean, we can, but typically, there, I mean, there's a ton of A/B testing tools out there already, so okay. we would just integrate right into those. I mean, because they all kind of work on, you know, either on the back end, something like SiteSpec can manipulate code on the server side, or actually as like a proxy, or even on the front end, you can do that with like, you know, Adobe Target or Optimizely or any of those guys, right? So all, all, all we have to do to change the image that's being delivered is just manipulate the URL string. Yeah and that tells Cloudinary to generate a new image. So all those tools can do that. So typically they have reporting and all that, so we just uh, set it up in there and and let it run.
1: Cool, so our approach to Cloudinary that on some of my my test branch that I have it working on is uh, we're using Gulp. We have two Gulp tests, basically. One to upload the images, and the other one to actually hot swap the URLs for production. So when we run our production build, we're using Cloudinary basically for production use only. Is that pretty much the basic use case, the most basic use case for Cloudinary, um, getting it up and running?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that's definitely a pretty basic use case. So it sounds like you're using, you know, the gulp task to upload using our upload API. we'll, we'll actually handle and store the assets for you. And in the upload response, you get like the URL. Then you manipulate the URL to format the image and, and cut it, and you know whatever else you want to do. Um, another common way is just to like remotely fetch your assets. So like, more, everybody has something that works, right? But nobody has something that works really well. And so ripping everything out and replacing is sometimes a really tall task. So, there's also the ability to just like remotely fetch your images from where they already exist and then kind of proxy them through Cloudinary, manipulate them, and then cache them at the edge. So, that's another way to to implement like that. Um, And then there's even like more advanced kind of implementations that marketing teams use. So, like integrate in with like marketing automation platform or within their like Google display network to dynamically render images with different content depending on who's actually viewing it and what you know about them. Uh, which is kind of like a, a more marketing style use case, but still kind of like solves that like bottleneck of actually creating assets the uh, same way that we do for developers. So,
1: did you get most of your like, image handling experience from Cloudinary, or is this something that you had more of like an interest before you, you walked into this job?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I definitely got a lot better at it since I worked here, but previously I was at Adobe and worked uh, on a, a product called Scene 7. Which does some like image manipulation stuff. Uh, Adobe bought it a while ago. I think it's rebranded and part of like their content management system now. And it, it kind of does some similar stuff to Cloudinary, but not nearly as advanced or as uh, developer friendly. So, got a lot of experience there. But then when I came over here, you know, we have like there's a guy named Jan that actually invented the the FLIF image format, which is a really really cool image that has like a lossy and a lossless component. Like NASA uses it for astronomy images. Like a lot of hospitals use it for things like x-ray images because it maintains a high level of detail while also having like extreme compressibility. So learning things like that from him has just been amazing. And there's all sorts of people within cloud and area. It's kind of like hire the industry best, like the absolute like experts in the field. And so I've learned a ton there. Um, another really cool thing that Jan did, like when you talk about like image optimization, right? So we we're talking about like the laughable curve before it's really easy, like in Photoshop to say, I'm going to save this image at 90% quality. Okay, it still looks really good to me. Now I'm going to save it at 80% quality. Okay, it still looks pretty good. Now I'm going to save it at 70% quality. Oh, well, Now it kind of looks bad. So I know that I want to be somewhere in between 70 and 80% quality. Uh, but that took that process took me probably like three minutes to do. And so if you're dealing with millions of images and, and image formats and maybe even things like user-generated content, obviously that's not a scalable way of building web images, right? So what Jan did to tackle this problem is, is he actually built a perceptual metric? Um, it's an algorithm that kind of, it's almost like AI. Like it, it sees like a human, and like it recognizes like the the image artifacts that like a human would see. So things like a blockiness in JPEG, which we've all experienced. You know, when your aunt shares a, a meme on Facebook that's been shared a million times before, you'll always notice it's really terrible quality and has like a blockiness, especially around the text and things like that. And that's due to like the photocopier effect. So it's really, really. You know, present to humans when the quality gets low. There's also things like color bleeding and ringing and basically this perceptual metric like sees all these things like a human and agrees with a human, like that this image is really crappy looking or that this image is really good looking, which allows us to actually scale out uh, image compression to say that this is for this particular image, I know what the image settings have to be and I can do this with a machine as opposed to manually. and so now we can do this at scale, like billions of images a, a day or an hour and compress them as much as possible while maintaining what looks like to a human to be a very good-looking image. So he does all sorts of crazy stuff, and there's you know some other stuff that, that we're working on here as well. But yeah, long answer to a short question, but
2: <laughs> learned quite a bit being at Cloudinary. So I was wondering, Rob, what kind of functionality do you guys have for um, handling different like image formats and transcoding between them? And like, what does your support look like for manipulations of different formats? Is that pretty widespread? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty widespread. I mean, there's only a handful of like really web-friendly formats, mm-hmm.
0: which we've all probably seen before. There's JPEGs, uh, there's PNGs, and there's GIFs, and those are kind of like the de facto web standard. Like all browsers support them, and so that's pretty much what everybody uses. Um, but now we're seeing like more modern image formats. So you guys might have heard of the WebP mm-hmm. uh, format, that Google developed. Really interesting story behind that image format, but it compresses on average around 30 percent smaller than JPEG, but it's only supported by Chrome. So very, very few people are using WebP today. Um, and then Microsoft has an answer to WebP called JPEG-XR. Similar thing, very cool, compresses about 30% smaller than the traditional JPEG, where the same visual quality, but only supported by Edge. So you know, no one uses that format either. Uh, then there's even another format called JPEG-2000, and that's only supported by Safari. And so you get like all these kind of, like, really interesting, neat, modern formats nobody really uses. Um, so one of the things that we can do is actually uh, each image, take a look at it and figure out what image formats can I use. So for instance, if the user is in Chrome, I know that WebP is an option that I could deliver this image back and they'll be able to render it. But if they're in Firefox, I can't use WebP. So we'll do like a user-by-user user decision and say, okay, they're in Chrome, uh, I can use WebP. Now I'm going to go and figure out, is WebP actually better for this image than do an on-the-fly format conversion? Because image formats are really just compression algorithms. For visual information, so they they have different strengths. So some images might be better as a JPEG, some images like illustrations and logos are better as a PNG, um, and some images are better as WebP, and so on and so forth. So we we take all that work off the hands of the developer, and you wouldn't know this stuff unless you're like a, you know, a PhD image scientist. So we we kind of like the PhD image, image scientist for you. All you have to do is tell Cloudinary to make a format decision for me. I I don't care how it happens, just do it. So we handle all that for you.
1: I was going to ask about that. So I can upload all my images as WebP and Cloudinary will make the decisions for me if they're, if like someone's looking at Edge. Yep. Will they do that on-the-fly conversion for me as well?
0: Yeah, Yeah. so if you uploaded all your images as uh, Photoshop files, like PSD files, we can still do that. Uh, flatten it, rasterize it in a web-friendly format. Oh, really? Yeah. Which actually leads to some really interesting use cases. So we have uh, one where it's like a t-shirt builder Right? And so when you think of they upload like a Photoshop file with uh, multiple different layers. Like there'll be like the model, right? So it's like a guy that's like wearing a shirt. And then there'll be like the shirt layer and then maybe like a texture layer or something like that. Uh, but we could actually even take the, we do, we take like just the shirt layer and say manipulate the color, change it from white to purple or some like RGB value. We can do that on the fly. So really now they only have to upload one Photoshop file. Then on the fly, they could choose that shirt to be. Any color within the hue, the the RGB color spectrum, and we can make that conversion. So it and it's all flattened and rasterized and sent back as a, a JPEG or a WebP or whatever. But some really cool
2: you know, manipulations can happen with especially things like Photoshop and Illustrator files. Nice. You were talking about your format auto detection. Does does that require the JS library? Or do you sniff the user agent on URL requests? Yeah, we have the user agent and the accept headers at the the CDN
0: edge. So oh. no JavaScript necessary, which if you're starting to use JavaScript, then basically you're saying I don't want my images to preload, and it, the performance benefits of using WebP, if that's the concession you have to make, are probably pretty debatable.
2: I was uh, I was reading a couple of your blog posts that you posted, and you touch on uh, personalization a few times. In particular, in one you were talking about how it can end up like a A/B testing for a bunch of different a bunch of different sections can end up providing a lot of data that you can't really act on. Because you know the, the content can't keep up with that many divisions. You mentioned some stuff about uh, programmatically generating content. I was wondering if you had any more thoughts on that, or if you could expand on that at all.
0: Yeah, that's one of the the cooler kind of marketing type use cases, but it's it's kind of the same issue. It's a content generation bottleneck. So let's say that uh, you want to personalize based on. Whether they're male or female, or what was the last product that they looked at, if you're a retailer, or what was the last article that they read, um, maybe you want like a category affinity value. So basically, there's all this data that's being gathered by like DMPs and and whatnot about all your visitors. But if you actually want to show like a relevant experience, you actually have to have somebody creating the content. So now we're back to that manual process where just like you can't do image optimization with a human being because it just takes too long for a human to do that, you can't really do personalization with a human being and have them creating you know the unique content experience for each person because it just takes them too long. So what ends up happening is you limit yourself in the amount of personalization that you can do. So basically, like the example I give in, in that article is like Williams Sonoma, they have like 10 top level categories like knives and cookware and, you know, whatever else. And that's the only thing that they can personalize on. So if they're in like the knives section, you can only show them knife stuff, but you can't create a hero image in the right format, the right size, the right dimensions for every single knife product that you have because that would take somebody in Photoshop to do that. And if you have 10,000 products, that's way too much time. Uh, so what Cloudinary can do is since we can you know, resize and manipulate and add text overlays and image overlays and stuff like that, you can come up with a single URL and just pump data about the user into the URL, and then we generate that programmatically. So just kind of lifting that that content creation bottleneck, removing that from human hands and putting that in the machine hands. So it's kind of like instead of you know using like a, a hand pushed plow if you're a farmer, you now you have like a combine to do that work. Nice, that's really cool. Yeah, wasn't
1: there like a, a contest with CodePin not too long ago where you, you Cloud and I was kinda looking for the coolest use cases for some of this manipulation? I might have been conflating two different things together, but Yeah,
0: no, no, we, we, we do quite a bit of that. Like one of the fun things that we've been working on lately is kind of like machine learning and like AI stuff, right? So one of the, the first things that we came up with is just like a fun project was style transfer. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure you guys have probably seen some of this like out in the wild before. There's a few libraries out there for this, but we're the only ones that could do it like on the fly. So if you took a picture and you wanted to look like a Bob Ross painting, you could upload a picture of a Bob Ross painting, upload your picture of a mountain, and then apply the style of the Bob Ross painting onto your picture, and the outcome is your picture, but it looks like a Bob Ross painting and so there's some some cool filters and and fun things that you can do with that, like you could take like a a picture of uh. Like a skyline during the day, and make it look like a picture of the skyline at night, and all sorts of different different cool things. So that was one of the competitions we did, and you know we do all sorts of those things because you know, once you open up the capabilities of image manipulation through an API and put it in developers' hands, you know the possibilities become you know endless, really. So there's a million things that we haven't thought of yet. Awesome. And one thing we haven't touched on yet
1: is the we haven't really dug too much into video itself. I know video files can be large and cumbersome to deal with, and also like generally for hosting, uh, it could be painful and costly. What's your solution around video at Cloudinary?
0: Yeah, I mean, video is in even worse shape than than images today. And you can pretty much go to any website on the internet, and they won't do their images right with video. It's even worse. Uh, the other day, I was on the GoPro dot com and I noticed it loaded extremely slow. So I looked and they had, you know, one of those hero videos that kind of like runs in the background like underneath some like text or whatever. But that video was like a sixty megabyte video file. (laughs) It was insane, right? So uh, one thing with video is it's even harder for developers to try to handle these things. So we've actually opened up our platform to video as well, where we can automatically determine uh, what's the best codec to use. So video formats like MP4 and like WebM and MOV are really just container formats. And within that, there's different codecs or ways of encoding and compressing information. So, as an exercise, I grabbed that video and loaded it into Cloudinary, they requested it with the the optimal codex. So think of that as like auto quality for video. And it went from like sixty megabytes down to two and a half. And so these are things that like most people don't think about because they don't know anything about video, or even less they know about images. So it's just another way, the same idea, right? But you upload the video, we give you a URL, and then you can manipulate the video with that URL. So Take out images, still images, out of it, or overlay audio, or extract the audio, or concatenate videos together, or add effects, overlay text, and time when that text shows up, uh, change the format, uh, change the codec, all sorts of really, really cool things that that you can do. Wow, that's pretty cool to be able to overlay
1: text and things like that on the fly. We have a couple a couple videos on our our site that uh, just kind of kind of live there in the ether but I'll need to see if we can optimize that.
0: Yeah. Cuz most likely it was, you know, somebody in Adobe Premiere or iMovie that just saved the video and then uploaded it, right? Yeah. And they probably didn't choose the the optimal codec for web delivery. So you end up with like a giant video that uh, is way too big. Another thing that you can do with a video is adaptive bitrate streaming. So I'm sure you've been looking like watching Netflix if you're watching like stranger things too. You know, sometimes you'll notice like the quality gets like really really low. Like, you'll be watching, it'll be crystal clear, then all of a sudden the quality will suck and it'll be all grainy. And um, that's due to adaptive bitrate streaming, where instead of Netflix like buffering your video stream, they just choose like a, a less heavy, lower quality, lower bitrate version to send you instead until your bandwidth availability increases. And so that's something that we can automate and support for you as well. Another thing to consider with that too is like, you, if you have an iPhone, will shoot video in 4K, but it can't display 4K video. So, you shouldn't be showing a 4K video to screens that it's the same idea with like responsive images. Like, if they can't display it, why it's just every extra pixel is, is wasted bytes. So, showing it at not only the optimal dimensions and size, but also taking into account their, their bandwidth availability is a huge problem with video. And it's something that we just totally automate for all the developers out there. That's awesome. I'm starting to really geek out on the idea of like optimizing videos
1: and also images as well, and seeing what I can probably do with my own sites. But I know we actually had a, a late start, so I want to transition us to picks. So jam picks. These are picks, uh, things that keep us going, things that we can either do while working or things that we like to try out at work. So I think most of the listeners got got the gist of what jam picks are at this point, uh, and. Robert, I think you you actually have picks in our in our show notes. So do you want to go first and choose a guest?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. So the first uh, jam pick is the Lick Observatory. So it's uh, I'm in the area, California, um, right outside San Jose. If you look at the mountain, uh, the biggest mountain, Mount Hamilton, you'll see some white buildings up there. It's actually the Lick Observatory, which was uh, built in like the late 1800s. And I studied uh, astronomy in college, so it's like I'm a super big geek about this stuff but you can actually take tours up there and actually look through these like massive telescopes um and see some really really cool things and then they also have like amateur astronomers out there that have like twenty to thirty thousand dollar like super nice amateur telescopes and they show it to you for free and so you can look at you know the nebulas and galaxies and planets' you see, like the the rings of Saturn and really detailed clouds and stuff it's it's pretty awesome so you guys get a lot of clear skies down there in the South Bay. Yeah, I mean that's why they put it on top of a big mountain.
1: <laughs> yeah, because we have the same thing in Oakland at Chabot Observatory,
0: but it's cloudy every night, so it's almost useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the mountain's a bit higher, and uh, we're uh, blocked from like the fog and things like that by the Santa Cruz Mountains, so it's usually more clear.
1: Cool. I'd hopefully, I'll be able to take my son down there sometime.
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Cool. And then also another thing if, uh work, kind of really, is uh, using SVG placeholder images. So SVG is kind of like a vector format. And you can build images. Uh, there's some libraries out there that mimics the layout and the shape, general shape, of a much larger like JPEG image that you can use while you're lazy loading your, your much larger JPEG images. And these things can only be like a kilobyte. So it's been fun playing with that and,
2: and figuring out cool use cases for SVG placeholder images.
0: Cool, we'll definitely check that out.
1: Ben, you got some picks for us?
2: Uh, yeah, so my pick is... Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever opened one of those uh, latex or tex pdfs, and they always have that distinctive font, computer modern. What I didn't know about those was there's actually a whole family of fonts, and one of them is a mono serif font, which is a rare find and which I've been using for coding lately. Um, And I also found out that um, that whole font family has been, somebody on their site has all of them set up for web use, so you can download the whole font family with uh, all the formats you need for, for web fonts. So yeah, I've, I've been using that lately. And the, uh, the mono font is called Computer Modern Typewriter Text. It's really great. If you're in a Debian-based system, you can actually just get it from the repos. But it's uh, pretty fun. You could actually even upload those font
0: files to Cloudinary and use them to overlay on top of images. <laughs> wow, come
1: on with the hot tips. All right, I'll do. more to check out. So, my picks actually, uh, I got two picks. One pick is Super Nintendo. So my son, who's four years old, was Mario for Halloween. And the only reason he knows Mario is because of Super Mario run on iPhone. It's the only game he he's exposed to Mario from. So I have a Super Nintendo, so I blew the dust off of it and showed him like the actual Mario. And uh, he had a blast, and we played uh, Aladdin and Lion King. So um brought a lot of like a lot of <laughs> a lot of memories back uh, over the weekend, probably gonna do that again next weekend. And uh, my other pick is FlameGraphs, which is uh, it's more of like a Go thing. I think I learned it from the Go community, but you can actually do API requests and calls and see exactly like the similar to what you can do in the Chrome console. Uh, But this is more for like backend. And um, we started using it when we were exploring GraphQL. Our CTO added it to the project. I had never heard of it, and uh, it's actually pretty cool. And you can dig deep just like you can do in the Chrome console between network requests. So that's FlameGraphs, and that's my picks. Rob, thanks for coming on, talking about Cloudinary. For the listeners, they can definitely check out Cloudinary.com to check it out, see if it's right for them and see if they're how they it compares to their, their image handling today. And uh, Ben, thanks again for coming on and uh, sitting with me to talk with Rob. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Ben.
1: And listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio.